Hey, Waypoint Church, this is Pastor Danny, Pastor Lawrence, Pastor Eric. We are so glad to be here in our first ever uh, Pentateuch podcast, and we are going to be looking at Exodus, and we are preaching through Exodus, and but we're actually in Leviticus in our Bible reading plan, and the two of them fit nicely together because it's a continuation of the same, uh, the same narrative that Moses is giving the people and Moses is actually, they're experiencing it. And uh, we see from Exodus to Leviticus, it's it's the end of Exodus starts with this building of the, the preparation for the tabernacle. And then Leviticus, it's actually happening. And what, what do the priests need to do in the tabernacle? So we're going to go back to Exodus and our sermon this Sunday is actually going to be on the the Exodus, right? Following the Passover as they cross the Red Sea and enter into trusting God and enter into this covenant relationship. So when we think about the book of Exodus, most scholars divide it up into three sections. The first part is the liberation from bondage. The second part is where God grants his people a covenant relationship. And the third part is basically how to build and what's the purpose of the tabernacle, this place where God will dwell with them. The first part is pretty straightforward. It's, it's, it's narrative. It's telling us the story of the birth of Moses and then the just the bondage and the slavery of the uh, Hebrew people in Egypt, which leads into God calling Moses and raising him up to pull them out. And we have this grand account where God saves them. And that's what the sermon will be about this week. But then we get to the next part where God grants his people a covenant relationship. And this is where it shifts from narrative to laws. Like we get the Ten Commandments and we get some laws about how to live in community. And we get some weird laws like don't. You know, don't uh, roast a baby goat in its mother's milk. You know, that one seems kind of strange. So for many of you, if you've done the Bible reading plan, you really like the Exodus part. You like the narrative part. And then you get to these other parts and, and you might be asking some questions or being like, why is this there? Why is that there? And that's what we're here today is to help with a little bit of that. So we're going to jump right into uh the Mount Sinai account, starting with uh, chapter 20, when God gives us the Ten Commandments, and God grants his people a covenant relationship. So why does God do this? Why does God need to grant to, to grant his people this covenant relationship? Well, I think it's interesting that we, we often use the word Ten Commandments. That's what's in our Bible. That's the head thing. But in actuality, this is never known as a commandment. This is where we understand commandments. You know, this is it's actually more like ten words. Ten words of instruction. Mm-hmm. You know, the commandments has this kind of feel that feels almost oppressive to our modern sensibilities. You know, we feel like commandments like you better do this or I will smite thee. You know, that's how we feel with this word. So that, it kind of gives us a little bit of a pressure, a little bit of a bias as we kind of look into what this actually means. Mm-hmm. This is a beautiful gift of grace given to us. Mm-hmm. This is God granting relationship with his people. That's, I kind of, we kind of miss that as we read this, especially when we teach how we teach our little kids this. We're like, here are the things that you must do for God to like you. You know, here's a flannel board and don't lie, don't do all this other stuff. In actuality, this is this is what God is giving us. This is His beautiful revelation of Himself to us, to see His character, to reveal more about who He is, and to bring us into this great relationship with Him. And this relation didn't start here with the Ten Commandments, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. As as we're talking about it, like the like you're like you're saying, Lawrence, we we t- we tend to think, okay, these these are the things I need to do, and then God will love me, then God will approve of me. But that's not 
that's not how God operates. Like that's not that's not even how Exodus is arranged itself. Like it, the the people were intended to think, okay, this is this is how God's going to love me. But but rather, God has already established a relationship with me. Like God, God's establishment of His relationship with me happened in the Exodus. This is, this is what they just experienced. Like they, they're now camping out. And in fact, uh, what, the fact that uh, Israel is at Mount Sinai at this point when they're receiving the, the Ten Commandments or these ten words is actually affirming what God told Moses back in Gen- uh, Exodus 3 that they would, they would arrive at this mountain. This would be proof that God, God's word would be fulfilled. And, and that is even a continuation of his relationship, his covenant that he established through Abraham. And so God... God has already established his relationship. There's already intimacy here. Whereas typically in this time, uh, in in context, culturally, uh, with a a suzerain vassal treaty, you have a group of people who would be able to enter into relationship with this authority figure by giving their allegiance. But God's already established his allegiance with Israel already. So you're saying typically the Susan Vassal Treaty that a person would say, okay, here's what I'm going to give you. Here's my tribute. Here's my offering that I'll give you. Then right. we'll be in a relationship. But it's not like that in this situation. Yeah. So what is the basis then for this relationship? What, I mean, what is the basis for this relationship here? It's, it's like it's starting with God. God's saying, I'm, I'm giving you, I've given you the bondage from, I mean, the, the freedom from bondage. I've given you everything. You, you're here. You, I, I've given you everything you need to get you here. Even the manna and the quail account, the water from the rock comes before this. God has given them everything they need to get them there. Then he's built this covenant relationship with them. Then he tells you, here's how you can follow me. Here's why you should follow me. Now that I've proven my trust to you, now here are the things that I'm asking you to do so that you can be my people. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say do all these things. And then you'll be my people. Even the giving of the law comes after the deliverance. Just like for us as Christians, we, we get Christ after his resurrection. His, he, he has already died and rose again, and we get it. So I think that even looking at how we're, we're given these, these commands, these ten words, which lead into more just looks like laws. You know, it's straight up laws. Some of them are very gracious, and some of them seem kind of strict. But that's, that's how we get here. So that's the why and the what, and even a little bit of the how. Now, looking at these laws, uh, the first set right after the Ten Commandments is, you know, build this altar to me. And the first thing is don't build an altar to these other gods. And the second thing is talking about Hebrew servants. And immediately he says that if you have a servant, meaning if somebody can't pay a debt, like and they have to go into servanthood or slavery, you need to let them go after seven years. Now, what is this the opposite of or in contrast to what they experienced in Egypt? This is also why uh, American slavery, I would consider purely evil because people would have no way out. It wasn't a system of paying off debts. But, but God sets up this way. Then he talks about personal injuries. Then he talks about protection of property, social responsibility, laws of justice and mercy. Sabbath laws. He establishes the three festivals. Then he talks about how the angel prepares the way and the angel of God is going to be with them. Then he confirms the covenant. And then Moses goes back up the mountain. And when he goes back up again, it it starts into this next section. So before we go into that, anything else you guys want to add on just this, this section between chapter 20 and chapter 24, where God grants his people this covenant relationship 
and God just shows them who he is. Well, I think another concept as we talk, go back to call, kind of taking, reframing our mind from commandments to words of instruction is we still have this idea of rules are bad, regulations are, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. oppressive. You know, but if you've ever been driving in a country where traffic laws seem more like suggestions, then you realize, no, 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 that's not effective, that's not efficient. You need traffic laws if you want to get where you want to get to. And if you don't want to die, because people, die. if no one run, if everybody ran red lights, then if everybody just didn't obey this, the, the laws of the road, we would be a lot less safe. Yeah, so the, even though the laws seem restrictive, they're actually bringing us freedom. Exactly. It's freeing us to be efficiently drive and get to where we need to get to. And not be worried about injury or, de- or even death because of these, these laws and these rules that are established. Exactly. And, and I think, too, like what contributes to thinking or having this connotation of laws or commandments are restrictive is that we, we think, okay, the Ten Commandments are the thou shalt nots. These are the things that we should not do. But even, even that is a limited understanding of what the Ten Commandments are intended to be. And, and we kind of see uh, with, with this uh, covenant relationship being granted and what's being fleshed out uh, in, in these specific cultural laws is that God, God's fleshing out what the Ten Commandments mean. Both in, they, they, they have positive and, and negative applications to them. I mean, I have a whole theology textbook, which at this point uh, in, in this time of pandemic has just become a prop for video feeds, but... Um, <laughs> that's what Eric props the iPad. But I have like a thousand page book that's just explaining the, the positive and negative applications of the Ten Commandments. So, I mean, we could even say God's, God's more efficient than John Frame in that regard. Like he, <laughs> He's able to cover a lot more ground in a lot quicker time, but, but as you're talking about, Lawrence, like the God, God is, is showing what it means to, to be his people and, and even the, the purpose of it. Like r- right now with, with my kids, with Esther and Elliot, we're, we're trying to teach them. We're, we're, Sarah and I have been, been learning about ourselves that, that we, kind of, we, we kind of twist this as we're talking about like relationship and, and instruction or obedience that we're, we're trying to train ourselves to start with the relationship. Like you're my child, therefore don't don't do these things. This is what it means to be a part of our family. Mm. Um, so it starts with, we want to start with, you're my daughter or you're my son, and this is what it means to be a part of our family. This is what it means to represent us. This is, this is who we are and this is what we're like. Mm-hmm. And, and so God, God's trying to do that. Like just, just as we talked about in this, this season of, of, in the aftermath of Easter, living a lot of the resurrection, God, God is showing them you know, this is what it means to, to be a witness. This is what it means to, to represent me, to show what I'm like to the rest of the world if you live this way. That's beautiful because what we're looking at here is this idea that these Israelite people have been in Egyptian captivity for roughly almost 400 years. Yeah. They've lost their culture. They've lost their identity. They've lost a sense of, as a people who they are. They've lost this, this idea that kind of unified and brought them. They've lost their culture even. So God's taking them out, separating them as a people, and saying, you are my people. I'm choosing to bless the nations through you, the, problem that he gave, uh, the promise he gave to Abraham. And so this people that he's taken out, they've lost their, their identity. Mm-hmm. And so what he's doing with this beautiful relationship with the giving of the laws is he's actually reestablishing their identity. He's reestablishing their culture. He's reestablishing their identity and saying, hey, we are set apart people. We're different from everybody else. You're my people. 
And the identifying factor for you as a people is me. I'm your God and you are my people. So he's rooting their identity in him, but also giving them a, a cultural and a, a kind of an identity understanding of who they are and how they are to be. So this is not a sense of a, a, a condemnation. Don't break these rules or I'm going to come against you. This is, hey, this is who you are. You're like you were saying to your to Esther and Elliot, you're, you're one of us. You're a family member. This is you're, me looking to my child. This is me saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. Yeah. Great, great stuff, guys. And just looking at some of these laws. So like if I, if I just go to, to chapter 22, Exodus 22, the first one says in verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord must be destroyed. Wow, that sounds harsh. But then the next one says, do not mistreat or oppress foreigners, for you were also foreigners in Egypt. Wow, that sounds very modern. And I've actually seen this passage quoted recently. And if you notice in 23, 9, God says again, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Why does God repeat the same one twice? The next one talks about defending the fatherless. But then he, in verse 18, it says, do not allow a sorceress to live. So some of them might seem weird to us. Some of them might seem harsh. Uh, some of them might seem really great. And we want to quote them on our Facebook feed and, 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 you know, and tell everybody, look at this one, and, but say ignore the one before and after it. But we want to help you guys see that in this original context, these laws were for them. This is about 3,000, over 3,000 years ago. And, and, and this was in their context and their culture. So it would have made more sense to them. Um, if you look at 31 and 2231, it says, you are to be my holy people. So do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts, throw it to the dogs. And, and like I alluded to earlier, the, the passage about, you know, in 2319, it's in the second half, it says, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, most scholars would say these, if you interpret these in their original context, these were related to pagan rituals. And to help them, just like today, you might say, you know, don't. You know, a, a mom might give their child advice based on the Internet or something like, hey, don't don't watch this TV show or whatever. Or don't do this thing because it's not good for you. It's not healthy. Don't eat candy or we, we know what that means now. But 3000 years from now, that may not make sense. But we understand it in our coach, cultural context and it, and it makes a lot of sense. So just as we're thinking about these laws, um, read them. But look at the big picture of God's love for them and almost look at, instead of focusing on each individual law, almost focus on the big picture of why is this here at this place and what is God trying to tell them? So that's, that's kind of, so we talked about liberation from bondage. We didn't actually bring that up, but that's the first part of Exodus. We spent a lot of time on this. God grants his people this covenant relationship and this first set of laws that God gives them. Then in, in 24, God, Moses goes back up Mount Sinai. And he's up there for 40 days. And God, and he, God gives him these extensive uh, ways of building the tabernacle. And uh, it's, it's very detailed. And the tabernacle is just a tent that they're going to build. And they're going to use the materials that they got when they left Egypt. And they kind of God allowed them to take stuff with them, which was promised to them. And they, they did. And as, as, God's, as Moses is up there with God, it, there's just these... Very, very specific details. So the question is, is why does God do this? What is the purpose of God telling them how to build the tabernacle and why they should even build the tabernacle? 
You know, I think the process of building a tabernacle is significant in regards to this is where where God is choosing to dwell amongst His people. Yeah, the centrality of the tabernacle for the Israelite people has been a central. It's going to be the central theme throughout the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old yeah, Testament. Yeah, even Jesus Himself says, "I, I tabernacle. I, mm-hmm. I came and built a tent among you. Yes, yes. a tabernacle. So this, among, this, this, among you. Yeah, I dwelt among you. So this becomes how God exists with them. They don't have a permanent temple. They don't have Eden anymore." Yeah, and this is a part of the greater story of the hero of the Bible. This is a great. This is part of the full story of God saying, "There is a problem. They need salvation. They need my spirit to do a recreation of what went wrong in creation. You know, of what of after the fall. And this is all part of that process is that God's presence among them is going to allude to the picture of Jesus one one day fully tabernacling amongst his people, which will lead fully to the indwelling of the spirit, which then leads to a full a full recreation of all that is wrong made right when Jesus comes back and consummates his kingdom. Yeah. And so this is just a beautiful image that God is this theme that he, he's continuing on, this meta-narrative of the whole Bible story. And this is a part of that. God is choosing to dwell amongst his people. Yeah, a fascinating thing is if you look at it, so God gives, confirms the covenant with Abraham. Abraham goes up the mountain. Then the Lord begins speaking to them. The first thing he says is about the offering. The stuff that they need to build the tabernacle, God tells, them, tells Moses what to tell them to collect to build the tabernacle. Then the next thing, the next thing, the first thing he brings up is the ark. And they make this Ark of the Covenant, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, the, the thing that Indiana Jones... I'm still trying to convince these guys to go on a quest. Yeah, <laughs> so Lawrence is still a movie buff and kind of a crazy uh, adventurer, so we are probably well, we not. It. But So the Ark of the Covenant, but, but if you notice, uh, he gives them these specific instructions on how to build it. Then he talks about making this atonement cover. And actually, the book of Hebrews spends a lot of time dealing with the Ark of the Covenant and how the priests use it. But on top of the atonement cover, um, they are to put, make two cherubim out of hammered gold. So they make these cherubim. Now in Genesis 3, 24, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden, God says this in in Genesis 3, verse uh, 24. It says... um, after he drove them out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword. So God is allowing access back to him. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, when Cain and Abel go to bring their sacrifice, they go and bring it to where the cherubim are. They go to the entrance of Eden, and they, they're allowed, to, they're allowed to, to talk to God. And God is, is giving this to them, his presence. So, so how this building of the tabernacle starts is with, first of all, the materials, but second, the ark. And the ark is how they're going to have this access to God and this forgiveness of their sins and this ability to be a nation, a chosen and called nation. Anything else you guys see in this, in the purpose and, and how, even though it seems kind of boring to just read a list of things, any, anything else you guys see or, or struck you as, as you think about God giving them just the way to build this place where he will dwell with them? Yeah, I, guys, I, I love... I love this this whole biblical theme that's being woven throughout Scripture. That you know, it, it really starts with with Eden. It starts with God God's original presence with man and, and woman with people, and and you see this uh, loss at the fall uh, in, in part. But but as you as you trace this storyline throughout Scripture, you see this 
this, you see the heart of God on display. You see that, like, you, it, you can't talk about the presence of God among his people without thinking about his holiness and thinking about the, the effects of sin and the consequences of sin. And yet, even, even in the midst of that, God is, is on a rescue mission that he desires to be with his people. He, he desires to, to reunite with us. And, you know, if we, if we back up a little bit, if we get to where... Um, Right when, right when Israel gets to Mount Sinai, they, they, they see the mountain and they're terrified. They're like, we're, we're not going up there. And even God, God's consecrating them. He's saying, you know, don't, don't even touch the, the foot of the mountain because, because he's high, like his, his holiness. He's, so how do, we, how do we deal with this problem of, of God being able to be among us when he's so holy and we're so unholy? Like we ha- like, how can we come into God's presence? We're not gonna, we're not gonna ascend the mountain. We need a, we need a mediator, and so Moses is willing. God calls Moses to do this, but then God, God comes down. He says, "You, you don't have to go up to me. I'm gonna come down to you." And, and so as he's, as he's giving us all these instructions, all these details. There's, as Danny, as you're alluding to, there's all this. Edenic language that's being referred to. There's the, there's all these object Garden lessons. Yeah, there's just, all this theology. All, all these things to, to show us this is who God is, yeah. and this is our history, and this is what God is like. And He's bringing us into it. He's He's drawing closer. He's drawing near to us in part to to give us a taste of what will be in full one day. That will there there will be no need for mediation. That we'll be able to see God face to face one day. That we even see that in in what Jesus is doing and even the fulfillment of Jesus' ministry. But here now that's it's a reminder of of God being in God's presence and, and his holiness. And and even saying this I want you to, to worship me on my terms, not on your terms. And so, but, but yet God is inviting Israel into that. And, and the, the tabernacle becomes their center of gravity. It becomes the central place in their whole camp. For the, the tabernacle will be carried out. And, and when, they, when they camp, wherever they, they camp as they're traveling, God is going to be at the center. God, God is going to be the central place, the central person that their whole lives are oriented around. And that's a call for us. We we sh- we are invited into that too. God God has become our center. He's become who we are orienting our lives around. That's that's why we say we're a worshiping people. We worship God. We orient our lives to Him, and it affects everything. So when Paul says, "Your body, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit," now as a Jew, that would be a very uh, controversial thing it's to pr- say. It's provocative, yeah. yeah. Like like because basically he's saying that this system that starts with Eden where they had access to God directly like Adam they were dwelling inside the temple and then they lost access and then God brings the access back through this tabernacle system which eventually when they move to Jerusalem becomes the temple which actually gets destroyed but Jesus says that his spirit is poured out upon his church and we're the temple so it it really so understanding the tabernacle is understanding who we are as Christians. It, it's it's foundational. It'd be hard to know who we are as Americans without understanding the Constitution and the Civil War and, mm-hmm. and these building blocks of how we got to who we are today as a nation. If you didn't understand those things, it'd be very hard to, to understand your identity as an American and the rights that we have. And I, and I think so. that's why the tabernacle is so important. One last thing to note, um, it, it, after Moses is up on the mountain... When he comes down, there's, they had already set up a tent of meeting. 
So it's like before they could have the temple, before they could have the tabernacle, in verse 33, 7, there's this tent of meeting. They had, to, they had to have a place where Moses could meet with God. And then Moses meets with God, and then God gives him a new set of stone tablets. And we're going to talk about in the sermons the actual Exodus event, and we're going to talk about the golden calf and the, and the, the manna and the water from the rock. But, so we're not alluding to those events, but in between those events, we get to this tent of meeting and Moses meets with God. But then when he gets the new stone tablets, which he threw down the other ones out in his disgust after they build the golden calf. But in uh, verse in chapter 34, verse 10, this is a really important statement. It says, then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. So this this is different than the co- it's it's a continuation of the covenant God made with Abraham, but it's it's different because it's for this nation, the nation that He promised Abraham to have. Now it, it exists. The promise made to Abraham exists. They have a nation, and He says the people uh, you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Mm-hmm. And then He says, "Obey what I command you today." And then he will drive out and he will give them the, so the final, the, not the final, but the fulfillment of what he promised Abraham is happening. And how is it happening? It's happening because God's giving them this land, but his, God's presence needs to be with them. How's his presence going to be with them? Through the tabernacle, through the system that he's setting up so that they could understand and they, they could have a physical sign to see that God is with them. Any final thoughts on tabernacle? Well, it's beautiful because it's a precursor to what Jesus is going to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, this tabernacle, them God doing all it takes to, for them to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. But ultimately, it's a system in place where Abraham, when he called to sacrifice Isaac, um, the lamb wasn't there. Yeah. You know, the lamb that occurred in the Passover was only temporary. It wasn't enough. And the, the, the lamb that provides entrance, provides cleansing, the sacrifice wasn't there. It's, it's this precursor to this ultimate tabernacling, this ultimate dwelling that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Jesus provides and the Holy Spirit gives us um, this side of the resurrection. You know, so it's a beautiful precursor to what God's going to do. And I even love the way the, the pieces of the tabernacle are so beautifully described. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's what we talked about earlier. It's a recreation. And what we have to look forward to, we, we are now in this place where we're, we're going towards the promised land. We have the dwelling of the Spirit within us. But we also get to look forward to the re- recreation of Eden, this beautiful completion of Jesus consummating his kingdom and all that is wrong being made right. And it's a beautiful picture that God's given us from the very beginning all throughout the Bible. And I'm going to end with this. This is from John chapter 1, starting in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So every uh, Jewish person in that time would have understand the word became flesh, that Jesus is the dwelling of God, like Mm -hmm. God dwells with them in the tabernacle. And then it says, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about when I said, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And John is in the line of prophets where Moses is the first prophet. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who he who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made known to him, has made known him. Um, We get to see God. 
through Jesus Christ. What they needed, they needed the presence of God we have in Jesus. So hope you enjoyed this podcast. Next week, we're going to go into a little bit more into Leviticus and a little, little of the end of Exodus. But join us again, and we're praying for you. And always email us, uh, shoot us a text, ask us questions, because we we're, the Pentateuch is, is awesome. It's God's word. It's preparing us for, the, to, for understanding who we are in Christ. But it also has a, brings a lot of questions, and we want to be with you as we study God's word together. Take care, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Yeah.